Well, hello everybody. Welcome to this week's Infection Control Matters. Uh, it's Martin Keenan and I'm here in, where are we? Oh yeah, Melbourne. Yes, with Phil Russo. Uh, hi Phil. Martin, good to see you back in the land down under. Yes, mm. I've had a really good time here. I've been here a week. Um, I've just listened to you talk about your favourite topic, which is surveillance and the potential and things going forward, really. And I've had a stab at surveillance in the past, and it's incredibly labour-intensive because, of course, it wasn't automated and we didn't have any access to electronic patient records where I was working. And so it was, it was all shoe-leather epidemiology. Where do you think we're going with it now? Because there's people talking about automated surveillance, AI, all this sort of stuff. None of it's perfect yet, but I can see it being the future. I really, you know, I can't see it not being the future, to be honest. It has to be, really. What's your feeling about it? Yeah, look, I, my um, surveillance experience is similar to yours, Martin. Lots of walking up and down the corridors, arriving at wards, looking for patients' records that weren't there because they were downstairs getting an X-ray and so you'd have to come back <laughs> another time yeah. to extract the data from the patient record and then you'd go to OR and get the list of patients who've had that procedure. It was it was a busy time. Well, it was, it was, it was a lot of effort for not... Not huge amounts of return, um, but, you know, that was the early days of, of my surveillance career. I'm somewhat envious that I'm not in the clinical oh, areas I, now. I really am. Yeah. Um, with, mm. with surveillance because I get really excited about the prospects and the potentials that um, the electronic medical record is bringing, is bringing with it. And, you know, flippantly say that it's a researcher's dream because access to data... Um, is is going to be well? The potential's huge. The potential's yeah, huge. I suppose as long as the data going in is good, because there's a yes. garbage in, garbage out thing. That's, so. that, and that's always the case. And that's that's the problem with doing retrospective surveillance. Often, is you're relying on the quality of the data, and this would be the same with with the electronic medical records. And you know, I'm um, hearing I hear stories all the time. The electronic medical records in Australia is at various stages. Some hospitals haven't quite got onto them yet. Some hospitals are fully electronic, so to, so to speak. Um, but I'm also hearing there's lots of resistance on, with, from clinicians as well with medical electronic medical records, but I suspect that's an issue to do with change more than anything else. Mm. Um, so I think eventually we'll get there, and then once we get there, I think the, the prospects for research are huge. Yeah, and for actually interventions because, you know, it's really labour-intensive doing surveillance. And so you end up focusing on a small niche. And you put up a slide, but this is what we do now. But look what we're missing, which is actually probably 90-plus percent of all the procedures we're doing. Yeah. We're not doing anything on that. Yeah, that's right. And, look, that was what we found when uh, we did the point prevalence survey of 19 hospitals about four years ago. It was now... Strangely or acutely, we identified 100 surgical site infections in that patient population and of the 100 infections, surgical site infections, only 14 of them were from procedures that would normally come under routine surveillance <laughs> programs, you know, okay. hips, knees, CAGs, yeah. that sort of stuff. There was a whole bunch of you know, 85, 4 plus um, percent of procedures aren't normally part of the, the routine surgical um, surveillance and so they, they would have been missed had it not been for our point prevalence survey. So I think there's, you know, there's the routine surveillance programs are good and we should be doing them efficiently, but we also probably need to 
look outside those routine areas as well. And that's where I think point preference surveys can have a really big impact. Yeah. I mean, even if you don't completely trust automated surveillance, it does give you a really good indicator of where to go with it, doesn't it? So if you were focusing, say, on your coronary artery bypass graft or your hips and doing the in-depth stuff on that, but actually if you had an automated system that flags up potential infections in all of the others, it might give you ideas of where to go and target with some more focused surveillance if you didn't trust the semi-automated surveillance. I mean, uh, I'm not sure anybody's ready for fully automated surveillance yes. yet because yeah. it, it, that takes out any clinical involvement at all. Yes. I mean, it will ins- you'll get consistency because, as you said, you put 10 <clears throat> infection preventionists in the room and say, is this an infection? You'll get 18 different answers. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's a tricky bit of it. But you know, do, you, do you think there's a potential then to just run t- two systems in parallel? Or sh- Yeah, well, look, yeah, I think there is. And Mikey Van Murick has mentioned this sort of concept um, a number of times is that the surveillance data that the infection control staff isn't necessarily going to lend itself well for national reporting, so to speak, or for for public reporting of data. So they they want data. Clinicians want data quickly, something they can act on straight away. Mm. The big picture people, the state people, the national people, they're not so fussed about them having to act straight away. They just want comparable data, reliable data in a uniform mesh uh, method so you can actually get the bigger picture and see where issues are around the country. So I think you, can, you, you probably will need to have different types of surveillance um, definitions potentially or, practic- or activities for the different purposes. So you could do automated surveillance for public reporting because then you know every hospital is doing the same thing, but you could have semi-automated surveillance for the hospital level. Yeah, um, because activities. If, if you're doing semi-automated, it would depend on each person's system. So you've either all got to have exactly the same system, so you get some consistency, yes. or yeah. it's not going to work. But it does work for this is maybe an issue in this area. Maybe we go and talk to the clinicians, and are they seeing what we're seeing? You know, and on the front line, or maybe not picking it up because if you've got ten different surgeons in a, surgeons in a particular category, they not may not be saying many uh, cases each. Yeah. But actually, in bulk, you might be Connected. seeing a lot, and there may be some common factor in their surgery, like a piece of kit they're using, like, like the heater cooler units in uh, yep. that, that may trigger some some thoughts. So, because yep. I've yep. always thought surveillance is information for action. Yes. And I've seen many times surveillance done, like the HAP stuff done internationally. It all shows HAP as the biggest healthcare-associated yes. infection. Yes. <laughs> this yeah. Zippo action. We don't do much about it. No, yeah, that's, that's right. right. I mean, you know, there's, there's a groundswell yes. at grassroots level, but still yeah. no national work going yeah. on on that. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think the, the ideal surveillance program allows you to really focus in on those areas where you think there's big issues or the you know, they cost a lot, the, the um, outcomes can be devastating, but you also need one that can sort of helicopter up above at a, at a higher level and see the bigger picture as well, and then you can focus back down on those areas that you're in. For. So I think, I, I you know, I really like the idea of doing point prevalence surveys every couple of years maybe and see what's happening because I think you'd be surprised at what you find in your hospital. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, and also, actually, if, you, if you're using semi-automated to flag up areas of interest, it, it also give you an indication where you don't need to worry about. Yes. Whereas you could actually yes. spend quite a lot of time doing some in-depth work in an area to find out you don't have a problem, yeah. therefore, what was the point of that? So, you know, yeah. it, it might focus activity. <clears throat> but then I can see things really changing because if, if we switch eventually to all semi-automated, um, you know, possibly in the future we may go to fully automated, but 
it then changes the what you're doing as an infection prevention team, doesn't it? You switch to being interventionists mm-hmm. rather than surveillance specialists because everything's getting flagged up to you anyway. Yeah. So then you're going to be doing deep dive into practice to work out why you've got big numbers in that area and why maybe you know th- there are differences between surgeons. Um, and there's big elephants in that room, like the surgical approach. That's never mentioned in yeah. any study. You talk yeah. about hip replacement, but actually there's, there's you know, 10 different orthopedic surgeons would have 10 different techniques for doing it. Yes. So is there a tech, particular technique which is better than yes. others? I don't know. Yeah. But it, you would get freed up to do that, to, <clears throat> to do deep dives, I think. That's, that's, that's the theory. I, I, so I, I, you know, 40% of IPC's time is spent doing surveillance. If we were able to reduce that down to 5% of time, mm. um, then, you know, the assumption is that they use that gap then, that time, to do the interventions. But I suspect it might get caught up doing other things as yeah, well. Or, well. or, 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 or could, even education. You could or, do broader surveillance yeah. activity. Yeah, yeah. Um, or the management might go, actually, I need half as many of you now, Well, which could be a concern. That's potential too. Yeah. 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 I think that it would be incumbent on you then to say, okay, we're not having to spend so much time on that, but look at the activity now we're doing that actually reduces infections, which is saving you money. So you would really have to work very yeah. hard on that aspect. I think. Well, I, I think I think what you would do, well, what I would be thinking of doing is you do a point prevalence survey. Say, yeah, well, we've got these routine activities nailed down in our algorithm with surveillance activities, but the point prevalence survey identified all these other infections that we don't normally yeah. find, and so that's where perhaps we we focus our attention. With yeah, I mean, you, you're not really mentioned point prevalence surveys very much, Phil. I mean. <laughs> I take it you're a bit. <laughs> it can be quite labour intensive. So, when, if you uh, yeah, if you were yeah, recommending yeah, a hospital to do yeah, one, yeah, at what point, uh, so yeah. what sort of period? You know, I mean, you know, talking pick a big day and we're going to blitz everywhere, or how would you go about? Yeah, look, I, I, uh, there's a number of ways you can do it, and it really depends on your hospital. I think if what we found when we did a few years back, I keep keep on referencing it but the hospitals that had electronic medical records we were able to do in a day and they were big hospitals okay um hospitals that had paper records then they take a few days so if you've got an electronically uh adapted hospital then you know it's not easy it's never easy but it's quicker to Mm. do you'd be able to do a private survey much quicker than you could if you if you didn't have that electronic medical record so uh, yeah i would You'd be surprised at what you find. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, and you know we have um, we have all the methodology done for us. The ECDC protocol is tried and proven. It's now been expanded to include COVID. Um, we're uh, undertaking a, an activity a point prevalence survey uh, in the Philippines coming up shortly. Working with WHO, and um, you know we'd be hoping to to um, find some really useful information out of that as well. So it's you know it's an area that. Routine surveillance, longitudinal surveillance is resource intensive. It takes a lot of effort, um, whereas a point prep survey can doesn't give you that detailed information, but it gives you a lot of big picture information. Yeah, yep. and maybe where to target activity. That's right. Yeah. What about going forward in AI now? I mean, you know, I've seen plenty of <clears throat> papers suggesting that AI is very good at detecting cancers on X-rays that yeah. aren't, you know, the human eye don't necessarily pick up that well, and you know, and uh, some somebody was reviewing it. You're going to get fatigue, I would think. And when you hear stories of things yeah. being slipped through, you know, could could it be picking up infections, or you know, or will it? Um, can we get predictive work doing? I, I heard Erica Shanoya Shea 
saying that they've got some machine learning there that predicts C. diff infection in patients yeah. pretty reliably. Yeah. So then you start flagging up to people, okay, you need to be really careful about what antibiotics you're giving this person yeah. or, or expecting. It's almost like a sitting duck indicator, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I think the scope for AI is huge in this space with, with electronic data. Um, you know, a couple of years of historical data to feed the, the AI machine um, you know, I, I, it's really exciting. I, you know, I, I said during my talk, I, I can't get my head around AI because it's bigger than my brain. I just, it's just, you know, <laughs> I can't think that far ahead because it just seems to have the potential for anything. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, good and evil. So hopefully yeah. that, that, you know, I have no doubt it will pay a big part. And there's probably already work being done out there with yeah, AI. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I mean, sure. yeah. 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 I mean, the, the machine learning aspects are, are really yeah. quite fascinating. And yeah. uh, just picking up on things, already automatically gathering data that you routinely collect. Yeah. You know, like in the States, often their ventilator-associated event data, that's all routinely yes, collected anyway. Right. So that that's what it is it's yeah. unarguable uh, and it's not necessarily infection it could be some other problem related to a ventilator yeah. which is equally <clears throat> worth picking up as well so yeah. you know the more the more we can integrate our systems the better our data is going to be That's isn't right. it? And, and actually using ai you actually don't have to have interfaces that talk to each other because they can just extract directly because yeah. one thing i had for example an issue within the uk is i had a, um, a surveillance system but it cost you a fortune for an interface to the patient administration system. It cost you a fortune for an interface into the uh, theatre system uh, and, again, for the pharmacy system. So you're having to pay these companies for all the different yeah. interfaces, whereas if you've got an AI machine there that's actually just taking a normal extract, which you can get out of any of these databases, and combine them together, it's probably going to be pretty cost-effective as yeah, well. Really. Yeah, what, what I would like AI to also do, and it probably will be able to, is to identify those patients who are at a high risk, um, but also tailor make interventions to the specific patients. So, yeah. you know, this patient's got particular risk factors and so the intervention or the preventative intervention for them is different to the patient next door who's got slightly different risk factors. So rather than just doing the blanket um, prevention intervention for everybody, you can actually tailor make your interventions to the patient. I think that's that's a really exciting option. Yeah, I mean, and also actually using other data we don't routinely use to actually predict an area that may be about to have an outbreak because their alcohol hand rub consumption has dropped or, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. there's aspects like that. Their PPE use has changed, although actually we're trying to get people to change PPE use anyway yes. and trying to decrease it. But there, there will be some things, some triggers out there that almost warn you something's going to happen. Yeah. I know Mark Garvey in Birmingham in the UK reckons he can almost predict which was are going to have problems because they're alcohol and rubber. Really? They, they do monitor yeah. that. Uh, yeah. He's not published on it, actually, but they, you know, Mark's got a lot of list, long list of things yes. to, yeah, to publish. But I think, I think there's lots of potential to draw, draw data from all sorts of sources yeah. in our organisation to look at actually what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I'm really jealous, I've got to be honest. I, I went yeah. from paper yeah. systems, having to flick through paper reports, no computer, yeah. no email, yeah. which was bliss, uh, and we did actually have a computer that we were giving antibiotic sensitivities back to some drug companies. So I would have to sit there and go through each report and manually put them in. And the surveillance system was me remembering, oh, hang on a minute, we had one that looked a bit like that a few yes. weeks ago. Yeah. The sensitivity <coughs> pattern looked similar. And then you could, after 20 minutes, get it to chuck out some data, say this looks similar-ish. And then you send them off for typing and it's like six weeks later, not yes. helpful. Yes. Whereas, you know, Alex Sunderman and, and folk like that and the States are doing whole gene sequencing on the whole lot. 
every I, twice a week, <clears throat> and, they're, and they're spotting outbreaks on case two. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, I, I, you know, we're starting to sound like old farts, Martin, but yeah, I, I remember well. the first surveillance, <laughs> everything was recorded in an exercise book. You know? Yeah, yeah. Patient, T-cards. There was yeah. columns and rows, yeah, and you yeah. had to write, handwrite it, yeah. uh, patient names and UR numbers and all that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, it's a bit different now, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well. Here's to the future, eh, Phil? But yes. not necessarily ours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks very much. Great to speak to you as ever. Good to see you, Martin.